are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, this evening we continue in our series in the book of Leviticus, so I invite you to turn to Leviticus chapter 23 this evening. Leviticus 23, it's page 101 in the Pew Bibles. In this last part of the book of Leviticus, the second half is about communing with God. We've been reconciled to God as we saw in the first half, but what does it look like to walk with him, to commune with God? And we see another facet of this tonight as we see God calling us to feast with him, to celebrate with him, What God has done as God communes with his people, the Christian life is one of joy and celebration for what God has done for us. We will break this chapter into two parts. We'll look at the first part this evening, and then in time, we'll look at the second part. This evening, we will read verses 1 through 22. So hear now the word of the Lord from Leviticus 23, beginning beginning at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you to reap its harvest, you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two tenths of an ephah a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain parched or fresh until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf to the wave offering. And you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd and two rams." They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with the pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male 
goat for a sin offering and two male lambs, a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In agrarian societies where most people work on a farm, the land, the passing of time is marked by the seasons related to the crops. You have the planting season, you have the rainy season, the harvest season, and the dry season. And ancient Israel was no exception. They had these major seasons of the year, and God used that annual calendar to remind them of his provision for them by calling feasts at important points. These were joyous occasions marking God's faithfulness, God's redemption, what God has done for his people. God calls them to stop from their work and remember his goodness and to feast. It's a regular infusion of God's goodness into the mundane routine of ancient Israel. A word about numbering here. We see the the first month mentioned and their ancient Israel calendar doesn't line up with our calendar. And when it says the first month of the year, that begins the month of the spring equinox, the time when the harvest was to begin. And so roughly we can think of March is the beginning of the ancient Israelite year. So we see the first month, that's March. And there's four major feasts in the first three months of the year, in March to May, the season of the grain harvest. And we're going to look at these four feasts this evening. And then there's three major feasts on the seventh month in September, around September. It's the end of the summer harvest and the beginning of the planting seasons. And so at each of these seasons, the the beginning of the harvest in the spring and at the end of the harvest, the beginning of planting in the fall, God is calling his people to feast. Now, we're only gonna have a very cursory look at these and there's many resources if you care to dive more into this. Um, I actually have a handout by the, by the sound booth if you want to look at a diagram of how these um, uh, feasts look on a calendar to make sense of them. You can grab one. I have a, a 20 or so on the, back count, on the back counter if you want to grab one on your way out uh, to get a, a, a handle on what this looks like. But we're going to just look at these spring feasts, these four feasts, and see that God calls us, along with Israel, to delight in him as he provides abundantly for his people in Christ. To God's abundant provision here with these feasts, these four appointed feasts and holy convocations. And we'll look at these in order this evening briefly. First is the Sabbath. We see this in verse three. Now, Sabbath is a little uh, an exception to the rest of the the feast being spoken of because the Sabbath was to be observed all year round. Every seventh day, it was to be observed for Israel. Six days they should work. And then the seventh day, the last day of the week, our Saturday was to be a day of rest, a holy convocation where God's people gathered to praise, to stop from their labors to praise the Lord. There's, it's interesting because there's no other ancient Near Eastern nation that had a similar celebration. This was a distinctly 
Israelite festival every week, stopping from your work to praise God, to rest in his provision for them. And this was incredibly significant for Israel. It established the baseline of worship and rest for their life. No work was ever done on this day. It was always a celebration of God's redemption. All other feasts are in line with this heartbeat reality every week to remember what God has done for them. And the significance remains for us. Though we now celebrate on the Lord's Day, Sunday, the first day of the week, because this is the day of Christ's resurrection, and we see this in the New Testament, but it is the same for us as well. This pattern of six days of work and one day of rest persists for the people of God today to look to him, the marketplace for the soul. As we sang of earlier, it's a day to delight in the Lord and a delight it is. And of course, we're talking to the evening service attenders, so you all understand this, I think, at an experiential level. As we're able to worship morning and evening, what a delight and joy it is. So let's move on to the other annual feast. The Sabbath was a weekly remembrance. These annual feasts, though, began, the first one of the year was with the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We'll lump them together. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and we see this from verses 4 verse 8. These two feasts are connected because they're both a celebration of the exodus of God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. The Passover was that final night. Remember, Israel was in Egypt when God called them to sacrifice that lamb and to paint the blood over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over their homes and they would not be stricken by the curse, the plague upon all of Egypt. And then Israel had to be ready to go. They had a a special meal they had to prepare and they had to be ready with their cloaks tucked into their belt, ready to go because God was about to deliver them. And so they had to bake unleavened bread. And so Israel celebrated that with baking unleavened bread for an entire week to remember God's incredible deliverance, saving the lives of their firstborn with the blood of this lamb, but also delivering them out of bondage to slavery. And so these two feasts were observed back to back. The 14th day of the first month was the Passover celebration. Beginning on the 15th day was a week of the unleavened bread. They could only eat unleavened bread. They couldn't eat any leaven. And they had to rest on the first day, which would have been Sunday, and the last day, Saturday. And it reminded them they had to be ready as they were in Egypt to leave for God's God's deliverance of them. And their identity for Israel was, was tied to this, to, tied to God's great redeeming work that he did. They were a people delivered, a people whose God had set apart and brought them out of slavery. And so every year as they celebrated the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, God was reminding them, look what I've done for you. Look at your identity. You're, you're only where you are because of my deliverance. And of course, as God gave this to Israel on Mount Sinai, it's only a few months after these events first happened. It was a very vivid memory for this first generation. But they were called in the generations that followed once they got to the promised land. This would be a pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year, a pilgrimage to celebrate as the nation, the people of God. So this was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the first annual celebration of the year. And the second one was the Feast of first fruits. And actually it overlaps with these other two as well. So all three of these are really clumped together at the beginning of the year. And the Feast of First Fruits, verses 9 through 14, Israel was called to bring a sheaf 
of the first harvest of the year. And this is probably barley. There were two main grain harvests. There's barley first, and then wheat would come later, as we'll see in a moment. And they would present a sheaf, probably a a gathering, a, a bundle of this barley to the Lord. Now, nothing from the harvest could be eaten at all until this was presented to the Lord. So this was a moment to say, this is my first fruits. This is what you have given from the harvest in abundance. And I'm not eating any of it until you receive the first of it, God. And what a wonderful celebration that is. Maybe the stores were running dry by the end of the winter and they were ready, eager for this new harvest. They could, they could make a wonderful meal, make wonderful bread. They couldn't do it until they brought it before the Lord. And what a feast it could be after that. They would make their bread. They would be during the feast of the, uh, of, of the unleavened bread. So they'd make unleavened bread with it and enjoy that as God's people. This was most likely celebrated um, the first Sunday of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it actually coincided with the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's a little bit of ambiguity, but I think uh, that's the, those, the best arguments based on the text and what we see in history. They observed this right after the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We see God's provision, uh, the, the Feast of First fruits, fruits, along with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, God's provision for his people. And this brought to mind Thanksgiving. God's provision for this harvest was a joyous occasion to thank the Lord, to praise him. Everything they have comes from their God. They had other sacrifices, a one-year-old land they had to bring a burnt off for a burnt offering. There's some other sacrifices, but this was about Thanksgiving, praising God. He has brought them through the winter and he has given them a new harvest. And so let us look at the final uh, celebration here, the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks from 15, verse 15 through 22. The Feast of Weeks, it, it took place 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. This was um, sometime around May. This was the second uh, major harvest that Israel had of the year. Uh, the first one, as I said, was barley, and the second one would be wheat. And so the, they had to bring first fruits from this wheat harvest to Jerusalem. This was another pilgrimage celebration. So they came to Jerusalem to celebrate, again, God's provision. Now all of the grain that God had given them was harvested. They're celebrating that all the fields have been ripe and they've been sown, and now we can come with thanksgiving to God. Here there were more sacrifices that were called to be made. And for Israel, this was, again, another celebration of God's provision, another feast. And they weren't limited to unleavened bread this time. All of the grain crops were here. And this this significant sacrifice, as they were called to bring, was commanded to be given. And it highlights the full spectrum of God's saving grace. From their redemption and their atonement by the blood of the sacrifices to all of those benefits we talked about as we went through each of these sacrifices. Of thanksgiving, of feasting with God, of using a portion of some of the sacrifices to bring home and to celebrate with their family of honoring God, of being forgiven for their sin. All of these things were brought to mind as they spent this day celebrating on the Feast of Weeks. It's called the Feast of Weeks because it's seven weeks and a day after the Feast of the First Fruits. So this characterizes the beginning of Israel's year. The first three months, these celebrations, these four plus the Sabbath, so what, what does this mean for us, though? We're talking about something that happened a long time ago, and we don't do this anymore, do we? 
Because all of these sacrifices were completed by Christ in his ministry. But it's amazing how these these feasts map directly on to the ministry of Christ and exactly upon the calendar when Christ lived and died and rose again. Look at the Passover, right? The Passover, Jesus died on that Good Friday, the night before the Sabbath. Jesus was that Passover lamb. And we see this Passover feast all pointing directly to Christ who would be our Passover lamb, the one who died on our behalf, whose blood covered us that we would no longer be subject to the curse of death. Passover points directly to Christ and coincides directly with his own death. And then we have the Feast of the first fruits, which is that next Sunday morning. What happened to Christ on that next Sunday morning? It's the day of resurrection. It is the feast of first fruits. It's the day Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The first fruits. And if the, the New Testament authors take that exact same Greek word that translated first fruits here in Leviticus 23, they say Jesus Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of all the resurrection that's coming after. He's the beginning. He's the guarantee that the rest of the harvest is coming. We shall be raised from the dead one day. Isn't it amazing? On the day of the feast of first fruits, Jesus Christ rose. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. This is Paul, Paul making that point I just made. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits for those who have fallen asleep. He is the first fruits of being raised from the dead. And then we see the feast of weeks, or as the Greek Jews would call it, the feast of Pentecost. And we know what happened at Pentecost. Pentecost meaning the 50th, the 50th day after the previous festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The 50th day was that day where Peter stood up in Jerusalem. And he stood up and the Holy Spirit was given to God's people. Remember, the Feast of Weeks is celebrating the fullness of the harvest coming in. Right? And we see the fullness of the blessings of God coming upon his people by the Holy Spirit. And we see 3,000 coming to Christ that day, beginning to see the fullness of all those from every corner of the earth who will come to Jesus Christ. It's amazing. On the same day that all the Jews would gather in Jerusalem, Christ poured out his spirit upon his people. So we no longer celebrate these anticipatory feasts because they've all been fulfilled by Christ and we have Christ himself. The Old Testament had the shadow of Christ, had the promise of Christ, but we now have the completion. We now have the substance. We need, no, we need not go back to the old ways, but these feasts help us see as brief of a treatment as we could do. They show us though Christ. They show us what all of this, the Old Testament was pointing us to was Jesus Christ and the feast and the joy that we now have in him. The provision This is encouragement, I think, afresh for us to look to him, to trust in him, and to celebrate with him that we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We don't have pilgrimages any longer, but we come to see Jesus Christ. We come to Christ himself. He has given himself to us on this Lord's Day. Every Lord's Day, we can come and make that same pilgrimage no longer to Jerusalem, but to the table of the Lord where he feeds us where we feast with him. What a joy it is that the gospel is clearly preached there and we see the great goodness and mercy of our God for us today, even on the pages of the Old Testament for us as well. Let's look to him 
in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for how you designed this calendar, even for ancient Israel, to point them to you, to point them to the coming Messiah. And now we have our Savior who has come and died, rose again, and given us his Spirit. May we understand the riches that he has poured out upon us and the joy that ought to be ours, that is ours by faith in Christ. Bless us, Father, as we look to Christ. May we be filled and enriched more and more every day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.